let's go to Luke 15. This, by the way, fits in with Yom Kippur and everything else. So starting at the beginning of 15, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them a parable. And then there's a parable of the hundred sheep and one gets lost. And then there's a parable of the woman with the ten silver coins and one gets lost. And what you have is the story of three losses. So you have a man who loses a sheep. You have a woman who loses a coin. And then you have a father who loses two sons. So now we have the man with two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, in that society, what the younger son is saying is, Dad, I wish you were dead. To me, you are dead. Because it is inconceivable in that society to this day that an heir would come to the father and say, I want my inheritance. Furthermore, it is inconceivable in that society that the father would give it to him. First off, the request would never happen. And if the request ever did happen for some reason, the father would have the son beaten and certainly would not divide his stuff. But what the younger son is saying is, you and the family mean nothing to me. As far as I'm concerned, it would be better for me if you were dead. So I'm just going to take my share of my inheritance and I'm going to leave the family. I'm going to leave you. I don't care. I'm gone. So it's a total breach in the relationship. Anybody in that society hearing this story would have said, what do you mean the father did it? Look, I can't imagine that. So you have, first off, not being able to imagine that the son would say something like that, and then you have, second, not being able to imagine that the father would acquiesce. So then this guy takes his stuff and goes off to a far country, and, and as indicated by his decision to ask for his property, he is not a very good manager of property, and proceeds to lose it all. And you can sort of see that coming by the fact that he doesn't value the family. He doesn't value the family's wealth. So the idea that he would lose it all immediately or very quickly is not at all surprising given his other behavior. And he finds himself feeding pigs. This is sort of a morality play. Here's this stupid kid who has told his father, I hope you're dead. If a father gives him the stuff, he goes and loses it all, and everybody expects that, and, and finally he winds up feeding pigs, which, of course, to a nice Jewish boy is just about as low as you can go. He's hungry. Nobody will give him anything. Nobody cares now that his money is gone. So he forms a plan, and it says in verse 17, but when he came to himself, what that says to me is he has been living in an illusion, sort of imagining that, gee, if I had my third of the property, I could go off and become a wealthy man and I would come back at the end of that time and I would be riding on a white horse and I would have lots of money and camels behind me and boy, I'll show them, you know, that kind of thing. And so reality has finally slapped him upside the head and he has come to himself, which means that he's come to repentance. And he forms a plan. He says, in my father's house, even the servants have enough to eat. And here I am starving to death, 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to my father and there is no possibility that I can return to my place in the house. My sin is so grievous here and I have wronged my father so badly that there is no possibility of being restored to my former status. That's just not possible. That avenue is closed off to me. However, what might be possible is for me to go and throw myself on my father's mercy and ask to be treated as a hired servant because even my father's hired servants have it better than what I have it here. So he goes back. He rose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. This is a village, small town. When he left, everybody knew that he left and everybody knew what he had done. So there's two ways he can show back up. He can show back up on a white horse at the head of a camel train, being wildly successful, and he can thumb his nose at the whole village, which is sort of what he was hoping for, I'm sure. The other one is everybody is looking at him as he walks down the street and everybody is snickering. And everybody is waiting for his father to come out and essentially thrash him and send him on his way. And it's sort of like, this is going to be a two-bag-of-popcorn deal in Main Street. That's what's expected by all of the village. His father sees him at a distance. Now, one of the things that an Oriental gentleman does not do is run. You just don't do that. I mean, it's way beneath anybody's dignity. An older man with two grown sons, the last thing this guy is going to be doing is he's sprinting down the street. So that's wildly out of character. What the father is doing is making a public proclamation that I am going to accept my son. And I don't want to hear anything from any of you people in town. If the son makes it all the way down the street and knocks on the door, father opens the door, the son comes in, and there's just all this speculation, juicy speculation, about what's going on behind closed doors there. And the next thing they're sort of expecting to see is the son ejected back out the door, if he's even let in to begin with. So for the father to pick up his skirts and sprint down the street and embrace his son is by way of short-circuiting all of the gossip and so forth that is sure to happen. He embraces his son and commands that he be given a robe and a ring be put on his finger. Now, understand that everything that the father has at this point no longer really belongs to him. It belongs to his older son. It's called usufruct, which is to say that the father has the use and the management of the property as long as he lives. But he is forbidden by law from wasting it. So, for example, he can't dispose of it. He can't sell it. Other than I can sell sheep out of the flock in the normal course of doing market business, I can keep the family running, and I certainly can benefit from the produce for my own maintenance, but it is not mine to dispose of it. And certainly the father is within his rights to throw a party and kill a calf. I mean, that's not wasting the resources. But from the perspective of the older son... Wait a minute, 
wait a minute, Dad. I've been serving you all these years. You didn't even give me a kid so I could celebrate with my friends. Now you're taking one of my fatted calves, because they've all belonged to me now, and you're slaughtering one of them, and you're giving a party for that little whatever. You understand the attitude. Now, why two lost sons? It's clear that the relationship between the younger son and the father is broken, because it is inconceivable in that society that a younger son would go to his father and say, I want my third of the property before you're dead. Inconceivable. So that relationship is broken. In that society, it is the duty of the older son to be the peacemaker. So it's the duty of the older son to try and effect a reconciliation between the father and the young son. The older son doesn't do that. Furthermore, the older son is obviously just boiling with resentment. So there's a breach in the relationship there. He was legally within his rights, but the older son didn't see it that way. The older son sees it as everything here now comes out of my share because everything here is my share. So for you to take one of my fatted calves, I mean, you get to do it and it's legal and nobody's going to say anything except me, but for you to use one of the fatted calves that is eventually going to be mine to feed this ne'er-do-well really ticks me off. So the relationship between the father and both of his sons is broken. So what I'm saying to you is you got two broken relationships here. And I like the idea of it being Judah and Ephraim, where Ephraim is the one that goes off into the world. And when Ephraim comes back, how is Judah going to react? Because Judah has been the one for thousands of years that has been living through the pogroms and who has dealt with all the anti-Semitism and all that kind of stuff. And Ephraim has just been out doing whatever. Nobody's been persecuting Ephraim because they don't know where they are. And I will close back in Isaiah 55 now, which is what I talked about this morning. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Because my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So this, verse 8, because my thoughts are not your thoughts, I think makes a good commentary on the prodigal son. Because when everything comes back together, there is going to be human problems between the older and the younger son. And how that gets worked out, I don't know. But what God is saying is from his perspective, he doesn't have those problems. Please consider becoming a sponsor. Please visit crimsonthread.com purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you.